Studio Ervo and Bonfire Press present Essence House by Eric J. Cockrell and Chuck Pino. Read by Michael Goodrick. Chapter 7. No Pressure. I have a really stupid idea, Tim started, breaking the silence from the long car ride back to New York State. He had turned down the radio and was leaning over to look at Tristan, who was lazily drawing doodles on the cold passenger-side window of his car. Tim had been driving for hours now, and the two were in complete silence for most of it. Everything had gone well enough with Elise and Sean, but the text from Barnabas excited the two enough that they had planned to head back home the very next morning. Most of the ride had been Tim driving and trying to work through everything that had happened and everything he had learned. There were too many questions and never enough answers. He was heading towards getting some from Barnabas, but that just wasn't enough. It seems to fit the theme of our adventure so far, Tristan quipped, not turning to look away from the window just yet. Good, then maybe it's time for me to do something dumb. He sucked in a quick breath and blew it out loudly. I want to go back and find out what happened to me at that bar. Tristan twisted his head towards Tim and shook it violently. No, he proclaimed. Yep, that was about the best that was going to go, Tim said, nodding as he kept an eye on the oncoming signs. Like I said, I know it's stupid, but I have to do it. We don't know what happened to me, but we do know that Barnabas is going to give us answers, and that he was there back then. If he can tell us how he knew we were there, and I know why it went bad, maybe we could start to understand what we're dealing with here. Tristan was silent. He had been desperate to save his mother and aunt and uncle, but he had thought it through. He had done research, tried to figure out the best way to do things, everything. Tim was going in less than half-cocked, and Tristan wanted to make sure that his defense against his cousin's recklessness was thorough. Something big is going on here. Jessica is involved somehow. Your dad has some issues that I wouldn't be surprised are all wrapped up in this too. All I want to do is make sure that we can use the house and the stick properly, the way Elise says she and the rest of the family have done all along. So if we go back, we can maybe see what happened to me and better understand what not to do. Tim slowed down a little and took the oncoming exit off of the highway towards a truck stop. The blow of a truck horn sounded as a compact car bolted out from the exit lane in front of them and cut off the truck, carrying a flatbed loaded up with pallets of bricks. Tim took his time, turned into the parking lot, and drove the car all the way down to the very back to park, beside a sky-blue freight liner and its trailer. Tristan was adamant. No, Tim, this isn't a great idea at all. You said you didn't want to go back again, and now here you are just leaping into the next jump. That doesn't make any sense at all. This is the only way to get answers about what happened, Tristan. I'm tired of hearing from others and being told what they think they can trust us with. Rick kept it a damn secret from us. Elise didn't tell us until we found out about it. And now Barnabas is going to bring us in and talk to us. But is he going to tell us the whole truth? Probably not, no. We gotta find our own truth, Tristan. That's the only thing that does make sense, he exclaimed. No, that's not going to happen. At least, not until we know more. I promised myself, and then I promised you, too, that I wouldn't go back. Let's go to Barnabas, find out what he knows, 
and then we can figure it all out from there. Tristan felt like he was trying to talk Tim off from a ledge, and Tim's reactions only seemed to hammer that point home. You know what? Yeah, let's talk to Barnabas. He pulled the keys out of the ignition and tossed them to Tristan, who caught them clumsily. Tim tapped the button to pop the trunk. I'll meet you there. I just have to do something first. Tim dashed to the trunk, grabbed the walking stick, and stamped it into the ground. He closed his eyes, planted his feet, and imagined the exact moment and place he had known he wanted to go back to. His breathing was steady as he focused the entirety of his being on his task. Tristan burst out of his door to confront Tim and talk sense into him. He found his cousin standing perfectly still, as though meditating. No, you don't, he called out as he rushed Tim and attempted to bowl him over. He hit the dirt and scrambled to pry the walking stick from Tim's hands. Tim and the walking stick were nowhere to be seen. Son of a bitch, he said, slamming the ground with his fist. Tim felt his cousin push him and took a few steps back to try to regain balance. He threw his arms out and felt his right arm slam into a body. He opened his eyes, expecting to see Tristan laid out on the ground. Instead, seeing a little brown-haired girl barrel her bike into another man and then steer off across the street and fall into a heap. Tim's heart leapt into his throat as he turned back to see Tristan in his foolish 90s gear running across the street and what he could only assume was himself on the ground, attempting to get up weakly. Tim, the most recent incarnation of him, ran into a nearby alley and breathed out loudly. Jesus. He took a moment to gather himself. Two seconds into the past, and he had already proven Tristan right. He could feel the headache coming on. So, okay, he had caused the trouble with the little girl. He could understand Tristan's reason for not wanting to go back, especially when it meant dealing with yourself. He hadn't thought this through well enough. He was putting himself into his own path. Everything about time travel fiction said you shouldn't interact with yourself, but he couldn't remember why. He vaguely remembered Bruce Willis watching his older self die in 12 Monkeys and decided he would give himself a very wide berth. Only in New York are kids riding bikes in January. Tim overheard his voice and tried to remember back to when he had last been there. The two had strolled over to the newspaper stand. He crept over and peered out from the alley. There they were, just as he remembered. He waited for them to finish their realization about being too late to help their parents, and then watched as they began to make their way over to the bar. He winced as tears filled his eyes, and then his vision began to dim. Worried that something was going wrong, he saw Tristan walk through the door to the bar, while Tim was grasping for a handle that wasn't there. His vision blurred further, as he could now make out two different versions of the street, one teeming with people, and the other almost empty. The two seemed to crescendo and decrescendo as his head pounded, and his eyes fought through to pry themselves open beyond a pair of wincing slits. When his double stumbled into the bar shortly after the couple came out, Tim turned back into the alley, unable to take another second of this. He attempted to prop himself up on his walking stick as a shadowy figure approached. Or did it? He couldn't tell what was real and what was all part of the fog. Taking a step forward, 
he felt himself trip over what he assumed was a garbage bag and hit the concrete ground hard. His strength had drained so much that he felt the stick slip from his fingers as he lay there, attempting to open his eyes but finding the task impossible. Somehow, the walking stick popped back into his hand, and he felt his hands forced to close around it. His mouth opened, but nothing came out save for a choked gasp. <gasps> Hush, son. A voice, both familiar and unfamiliar, whispered directly into his ear. He could feel the man's hot breath against his cheek. At least, he thought it was a man. You don't have much time. January 4th, 2020, 8 p.m. The passenger seat of your truck, outside of your motel room in Sands Point. I need you to think of nothing but that. But, but, he uttered, attempting to reach out, only to feel his hand clasp harder on the walking stick. Shut up, boy, or all of this is for nothing. January 4th, 2020, 8 p.m. The passenger seat of your truck at your motel room in Sands Point, New York. Do it, the voice urged. Tim relented and sunk into the pavement. Jan, truck, he muttered, eyes still closed, focusing on nothing but what the strange voice had told him. The fog gathered around him, darkening everything save for a single point of light directly ahead of him. The light didn't grow in size so much as approach, closer and closer. All the while, the voice repeated the information to him with a final verbal push of now. Barnabas, Tim shouted as his torso shunted forward, stretching the bonds of his seatbelt. His forehead clipped the visor and he sat back, wincing in annoyance. Good, Barnabas responded, looking over at Tim with a slight smile. I was worried I was going to have to find some way to wake you. Tim, confused as hell, looked down at himself to see if anything was out of place. He was sitting in the passenger seat of his truck. His clothes were fine, but the walking stick was nowhere to be seen. The walking stick, he exclaimed, is safely tucked away in the back. Don't you pay it any mind, son. You're going to be fine, so long as you don't thrash about and cause an accident. Tim relaxed some, his head feeling clearer than it had in a long time. He peered over to the strange old man driving his truck. This man had been an enigma since day one, and here he was right when Tim needed him most. He took in a breath, suspicious of what could have brought Barnabas here. Let me guess, you're here to help me, but you can't explain why or how, and now I'm on my own again? Tim huffed in annoyance. Barnabas laughed. Quite the opposite, kid. I pretty much work for you now. I can explain an awful lot and plan on doing it as soon as you think you can handle it all. Tim was a little embarrassed and calmed himself some. Oh, well, that's good and weird. How do you work for me now? I don't run Essence Corners anymore. Hell, I don't even have a job. Barnabas slowed down and turned down a side street behind his shop. You're in charge of your grandfather Roland's work now, boy. You're in charge of the Essence Guard. Essence Guard? What the hell is that? Tim exclaimed, 
curiosity taking him over. Barnabas parked the truck and lightly tossed Tim the keys. Roland was always a dramatic old coot. Step into my office, and this'll make a lot more sense. Barnabas led him to a steel door in the back of the plaza. He locked it, turned off the alarm from the inside, and beckoned Tim to follow him. The back door was locked, and then the two walked past the customer's bathroom door and into a small office just off the hallway. There was a small couch in the corner, a tall steel filing cabinet with an old steel fan and a radio that looked like it had survived generations, a very utilitarian steel desk with a computer that looked like it probably ran Windows XP, if Barnabas knew what he was doing, Vista if he didn't, an incredibly comfortable office chair that looked as though it was worth more than everything else in the room, and a small apartment fridge. Barnabas leaned down and retrieved something from the fridge, while Tim regarded the chair. That chair is high-tech and expensive as crap. It doesn't look like it fits in with everything else in the room, Tim remarked. Barnabas chuckled. When you hit your 70s, comfort matters more than pretty much anything else. The three most expensive things I own are this chair, my recliner at home, and my mattress. He placed a small bottle of orange juice in front of himself and passed Tim a bottle of his all-time favorite Canadian beer. Roland said this might make you feel a little better about our meeting. Tim's mouth dropped a little when he saw the brand and reached for it with excitement. The best he'd enjoyed recently was a six-pack of Bud with Sean and Tristan in celebration of the new baby. Thanks, he murmured, pulling out his keychain and popping the cap off with an opener he'd attached to his keyring. He tossed the cap into a small wastebasket beside the desk and sat down on the couch. How did you know? he asked, before taking a long, satisfying swallow. Barnabas pulled out a key, unlocked the bottom drawer of his filing cabinet, and pulled out a file. He held it up for Tim to see and placed it on the desk in front of him. Your grandfather's notes were incredibly accurate and detailed. I went out and bought that beer right after you came into my shop the other day, he said with a smirk. Tim ignored the beer for a moment and reached out to retrieve the file. You mind if I look through it? Barnabas placed his hand down on the file and grimaced. Now, that's where things get sticky, Tim. The younger man leaned back and took a swig in disgust. I damn well knew it. Oh, hush, Barnabas hissed, opening the manila folder and pointing at the sheets of paper inside. You have to trust me, all right? I've been holding on to this for 50 years now. Everything you need to know going forward is highlighted. The rest is my instructions and explanations, so I make sure that things go on as they should. I'll tell you what I can, but the rest has to happen as it's supposed to. If I tell you what happens, you won't act natural, and you might get smart and try to change things. We can't afford to screw this up, you hear? Tim sighed and took another smaller sip. He nodded. All right, well, give me something, anything, so I can trust you. Barnabas looked mock hurt. I just saved your life less than an hour ago, though it was 25 years ago for me. I even left your cousin a note at the hospital so he would know to get you back to Essence House. I must have looked a lot better back then, he said to himself smiling. Tim looked and nodded. That's right, that was you. I, I didn't get a good look at you, but 
I recognized the voice. You knew exactly where and when I was going to be. How? Barnabas tapped the papers. Detailed notes, my friend. I'm sorry to say, we don't all have a magical staff. Some of us just rely on really good bookkeeping. His response was almost instantaneous, the question leaping from his lips. Okay, but how did you get those notes? And how did someone know that accurately what would happen? Barnabas had taken a sip of his juice and replaced the lid. That's all your grandfather. He befriended and recruited me young. He was considerably older than I was, but he was always good to me. He gave me the loan to start this place, interest-free. Tim was shocked. Interest-free? Rick wouldn't have let you get away with that if you were his own kid. Barnabas scoffed. That prick wouldn't give money to a Girl Scout unless the cookies were already in his hand. He sighed and waved his hand. I'm sorry, I shouldn't talk about him like that. He was a good kid before, well, before the crash. The two sat in silence for a minute, quietly enjoying their drinks. Tim let his thoughts swirl around in his mind. There were so many questions, and yet he wasn't sure which ones really mattered. How about an easy question? What is the essence guard? Tim asked nonchalantly. Barnabas smiled, still lost in his thoughts, as he answered, That is all your grandfather's doing. It all starts with the magic of the walking stick and the house. He called that magic the essence, thus essence house, etc. He knew that the time was coming when the essence would need to be protected. So he gathered up all of the information that he had into a file and entrusted it to me. I, in turn, chose some friends that I could trust to help me in my endeavors. Everyone has their jobs to do, and it's up to me to make sure that they do them. Tim nodded along. All right, that makes sense. So you're basically like the manager then? So what's my job? You're the linchpin, Tim. Moving forward, you're the one that will lead things and hopefully fix whatever is about to happen. Barnabas sounded slightly shaken by this information. Wait, me? What about Tristan? What happens to him? Tim was beginning to become agitated again. Son, I can't stress this enough. What is going to happen has to happen. I can't speak to the fate of anyone whether I know it or not. All I can say is that you are the one that things will depend on. Tristan has his own path. He seemed saddened that he had to give this information. Tim stared at his drink hard. If this information was coming straight from his grandfather, he had to trust it and hope that his cousin and everyone else would be okay. Hopefully, if he followed the few instructions he would get, that would keep everyone else out of trouble. All right, Barnabas, I give up. I don't know you that well, but I trust Grandpa Roland. What do I need to know right now? Barnabas smiled, turned around and reached into his filing folder to extract a small white envelope that looked weathered and worn, but was still sealed tight. The name Timothy Edmund was inscribed in beautiful calligraphy on the front. That's it. That's what you need to know, straight from your grandfather. Tim took the envelope, turned it over, scanned it for any information, of which he found none. All right, so I guess I go read this, 
do what it tells me, and then when it's done, I'll come back and get the next envelope? Barnabas shook his head and closed the file in front of him. He turned and slid it back into the filing cabinet. No, Tim, that's all the information I have for you. My job is pretty much done now, and this file holds very little else of import. He swallowed. It's all in your hands now. Tim, shocked, looked down at the little white envelope, barely thick enough to hold more than a single piece of paper inside of it. This wasn't much to go on at all. Great, he remarked sarcastically. No pressure then. Theme music by Carol Cockrell. Hey, this is Eric Cockrell. And Chuck Pino. The creators of Essence House. We're really excited that you took the time to listen and hope that you enjoyed it. We'd love your support on Patreon. $2 gets you two episodes a month, along with bonus commentary and our monthly chat show. Visit EssenceHouseStory.com and Searcy. Thank you so much for checking out our series. We're really excited about it.